Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Diving Board Podcast. I am your host, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me on another very special pop culture deep dive here in the deep end. I'm so excited to be back in front of this microphone and, of course, back in the deep end with all of you. I hope this podcast finds you well. It has been a minute. I have just been running around pretty much for the entire month of May, traveling coast to coast, literally. So it's been a whirlwind, but I am so excited to be back with all of you with another fun pop culture deep dive. I'm really excited for this one today, so I can't get, wait to get to it. Um, but yeah, a little kind of catch up. I was in LA a couple of weeks ago for work. I was there for one day and it was actually the night of the Vanderpump Rules finale. It was insane. I, of course, went to Sir. I had dinner at Sir. I had drinks at Pump. I went to Tom Tom. I checked up on something about her. So if you want all of the lowdown on my trip to LA and my Vanderpump Rules journey through West Hollywood, definitely check out the diving board Instagram. Lots of fun content on there. Uh, fun celebrity sighting. So definitely check out the story highlights and the post on the grid. Definitely a fun day. Um, but I was also in New York a week prior for vacation. And that feels like it was only like three weeks ago, but it feels like it was like six months ago, which was super fun. I had a great time. I, I like to go to New York every few months because I got to see my Broadway show. So I saw Sweeney Todd with Josh Groban. It was amazing. And I also saw Moulin Rouge with our girl Jojo. Oh my gosh, she looks amazing. Her voice sounds amazing. I was hoping we would get a rendition of Get Out or Too Little Too Late, but we didn't get that, but we got so much more. So it was such a great time. And when I was in New York, I was thinking, uh, what would be the ultimate New York celebrity sighting. Like I walk around when I'm in New York all the time and I just, I'm thinking all the time and I'm like, oh, what celebrity do I want to see in New York? And I'm not talking about like a celebrity, like obviously like if you're going to see a Broadway show, you're going to see a celebrity. I'm talking about a celebrity like in the wild that doesn't have a few huge entourage, doesn't have their bodyguard with them. Like Taylor Swift lives in New York City, but if you see Taylor Swift, she's going to be with a huge 
entourage and, you know, bodyguards, you're not going to be able to really see Taylor. I'm talking like when you're walking down the street and you just see a celebrity by chance because they live there and they're out doing their thing. I've been lucky over the years with my celebrity sightings in New York City because I feel like I just manifest it every single day because in my crazy mind, I'm always thinking about celebrities. And I've been, I've had some cool celebrity sightings in New York. Years ago, I once did a Soul Cycle class, and the person on the next bike was Lucy Liu. That was fun. This was in like 2015 when everyone was doing Soul Cycle. So that was fun to kind of look over and be like, oh my gosh, one of Charlie's Angels is uh, cycling right next door to me. Uh, I've seen Daniel Radcliffe in the street and um, or I was walking down the street and I saw him um, and I was a couple of Akasotas in. So I kept texting everyone that I saw Danielle Radcliffe accidentally. Oh my gosh, so embarrassing. Um, but I saw him. That was fun. For my Bravo fans, I once saw Chef Ben from Below Deck at a farmer's market in Washington Square Park. Lots of fun celebrity sightings over the years. This year, I was walking to the East Village uh, before I saw Moulin Rouge. I had some time to kill. So I was walking to the East Village because I wanted to see this Andy Warhol exhibit. And I was just, I was listening to Andy Cohen's new book in my headphones, you know, just kind of like AirPods in, spacing out, walking through New York City. And I saw this guy on the street and he was definitely very cute, had a nice beard. Um, and I was kind of like, did a little once over, kind of checked him out a little bit. And I saw, or I noticed that it was James Roday from, okay, it was this show. James Roday starred in this show called Psych on the USA Network in the 2000s. I think it was like six seasons. I don't know if you guys remember this show, but he was a detective. It was like a funny show. He had a photographic memory and that's how he would solve all the crimes. Dual Hill was in it, which we love Dual Hill because we're big fans of holes here on the Diving Board Podcast, but really funny show. My sister loved it. So, you know, when you live in the same house as someone there, when they're watching a show, you're watching the show too. So um, I was so excited to see him because I was like, oh my gosh, throwback. And he was looking good. He was going to the gym and you could definitely tell he looked very fit. So that was a fun celebrity sighting, but that got me going. I'm like, what would be the ultimate celebrity sighting here in New York City? Who lives in New York and seeing them in the wild would just be, you know, the pinnacle of a celebrity sighting. And I'm like, it's obviously the Olsen twins. Like seeing the Olsen twins in the wild, doing their thing, running along the island of Manhattan, I would just, I don't think it gets any better than that. And then it got me thinking like, why have we not done an Olsen twins episode on the Diving Board podcast yet? Like this is the reason the Diving Board podcast is here. It's to talk about Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. This is so long overdue. And I'm so excited to finally get into it. Oh my gosh, I haven't been this excited for an episode in a minute. So I am so ready to talk about Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen. There's so much to just revisit and just our queens of the 90s and the early 2000s. I feel like they have just shaped our childhoods and I'm so ready to get into it. So on that note, Let's take it from the top. 
like we are used to doing. Who are the Olsen twins? Who are Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen? Well, Mary-Kate and Ashley were born on June 13th, 1986. The day before my sister's birthday, actually, fun fact, she was born in 1989, though. But we love twins who are Geminis. Like, I, I love it. It doesn't really get much better than that. They were born to Jarney and Dave Olson. And Jarney was a former ballerina. And they lived in Sherman Oaks, California, which Sherman Oaks is a really nice area. And they were discovered when they were nine months old because Jarney's friend was in town and the friend needed to run a bunch of errands. And Jarney kind of tagged along with her. And, you know, it's California, it's Southern California. Her friend had a baby or had a child who had an agent. And I think this is a little more common when you live in California, especially Southern California, when you're that your kid randomly has an agent. So she's like, oh, today we have to go visit my kid's agent. That's one of the errands I have to run. So Jarney was there. She was talking to her friend's child's agent. And she, and she kind of just dropped in conversation that she has twins that are nine months old. And the casting agent was like, oh, well, I'm actually working on casting for a television show and we're looking for twins who are babies. Would you be interested in getting them on television. And Jarney was like, uh, okay, maybe. It's widely said that Jarney wasn't trying, wasn't a stage mom, wasn't trying to get these kids on TV. That wasn't her goal, which is good because you never want a parent who's a stage mom. You don't want, you know, like Macaulay Culkin's father that we talked about in the Macaulay Culkin episode. But she said, yeah, you know, let's let's try it out. So the casting agent said, yeah, send me a picture. She sends her a picture. She goes, yeah, they're they're cute. They're cute kids. Bring them, bring them to the audition. So they go to the audition, and of course, they were casting for Full House, and they're casting for the character Michelle Tanner. And this is the thing, when you have an infant character or a baby character on a show, because of child labor laws, you need two babies, because I think babies can only work for maybe 20 minutes at a time, but when you have two babies who look exactly the same, that makes it that they could work for 40 minutes at a time, because you just interchange the babies. So they wanted identical twins and this is what they were looking for so Jarney brought in the twins and it said that Mary Kate and Ashley were the only pair of twins that did not cry during the audition so they got the part and they beat out 20 other sets of twins who were auditioning so Full House starts production. The girls begin playing the role of Michelle Tanner when they're less than a year old. And because obviously they were so, so young, they would cry a lot when they were on set because that's what babies do. And they would get separation anxiety from their parents, particularly their mom. So they had actually asked, production had asked Jarney, don't come to set, have a handler or someone bring the girls to set because we don't want the babies to see you and then get upset when you're not there. You're just going to be a distraction. So like, could you imagine like you have to leave your twin babies who are less than a year old with a production crew because they cry when you're not there? Like, I, I don't even have children and I would imagine that would be 
extremely, extremely hard. Uh, but this schedule filming was also affecting the relationship with the other Olsen siblings because, you know, they have, I think they have six kids in that entire family. There's a lot of kids. I can't imagine six kids. I grew up with four kids and I felt like it was a lot. But um, so the mom could not be around set all the time. And she was actually felt like she was neglecting her other kids because she kept having to drive them to set. And obviously in California, driving anywhere takes forever. But she actually wanted to pull them out of production so that the whole family could spend time together. But production actually offered to have assistants come and pick up the girls and drive them to and from. And Jarni agreed. Um, but like I said, there was a lot of crying. They're babies. Like, they are that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to cry. And John Stamos, he was over it. You know, John Stamos was playing the role of Uncle Jesse. And he had actually a partial stake in the show. So he called a few of the shots. And he was working with Mary-Kate and Ashley. And they were crying all the time. And I guess he was like, I, I can't work like this. I cannot deal with these crying babies. So early into production, he actually fired them. He's like, no, we, we need to find new babies. And they brought in the understudies of the Olsen twins. And John Samos did not connect with them very well either. So he was like, you know what? Bring the Olsen twins back. Could you imagine like if the Olsen twins did like if these kids actually stayed instead of the Olsen twins, like it just would have caused this entire butterfly effect where we would not have any of Mary-Kate and Ashley, just any of the formation of our childhood. It was just, it's crazy to think about. But the rest is history. The Olsen twins stayed, and it said that throughout production of that first season, Mary-Kate had actually handled the majority of acting with Michelle Tanner, but, you know, who knows? The parents weren't on set, so who knows really what was going on with that production. And the babies can't talk, so they can't speak up, so it's just... Who knows? Who knows what was going on on that first season? Um, but as we know, the show became a phenomenon. Everyone knows about Full House. Like even kids that I babysat in college who were born in like 2010, 2009, they knew what Full House is. Like this is just a show that has transcended time. It's it's a joggernaut. People know Full House. And by the third season, it was just a massive hit. You could not touch Full House in the ratings. And the true breakout stars of the show were, of course, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. You know, producers said that the live studio audience in Full House before the show, when they would introduce the cast, they would do a standing ovation for Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. They were just enamored with them. They were so charming and they were rising stars. Like we loved Michelle Tanner doing the you got it dude on the show and they were so cute and they just, like I said, were the absolute breakout stars of the show. But even though they were the breakout stars, we know from the Macaulay Culkin episode and just knowing about celebrity culture that just because you're super famous doesn't always equate to a ton of money. And it's reported that the Olsen twins in the first couple seasons, they were only making about $4,000 an episode. So each of them were making $2,000 an episode. Like there were two of them working and they were making a lot less than the other actors because let's compare it to someone like 
of John Stamos, who at the time in the first season, he was making $19,000 an episode. And there was only one of John. There was only one John Stamos. And if we want to compare it, because we know we love our inflation calculators here on the Diving Board Podcast, that would be about $49,000 today an episode. So he was making a lot of money compared to the Olsen twins who were only making $4,000 collectively. And Dave Coulier actually says that Dave Olson and him were playing golf, and Dave Olson was actually kind of picking his brain. Also, Dave Coulier is Uncle Joey, in case you don't know. Um, they were playing golf, and Dave Olson was kind of picking his brain, and he's like, well, how much do you think the Olsen twins, or Mary-Kate and Ashley, I doubt he referred to them as the Olsen twins, but he's like, how much do you think the girls should be making? And he was like, they should be making a lot. So you should go and renegotiate the terms. So Dave Olson actually brought in Robert Thorne, who is an executive producer. He's an attorney. He's an incredible businessman. So he came in and he completely renegotiated the terms. And he brought the Olson twins from 4000 an episode to $25,000 an episode each. So he, that, I think, is a 500% increase. He was able to just completely change the range of what they were making. And by the end of the series, it said that they were making around six figures an episode. So they weren't even 10 years old yet when the series ended, and they were making so much money from Full House. And the producers realized, like, they weren't dealing with these two little girls anymore. Like, they were dealing with two megastars, and they were also dealing with the entertainment attorney, Robert Thorne. Like, Robert Thorne had a vision for Mary-Kate and Ashley, and the producers were really seeing, like, these are some breakout stars, and they the sky is the limit with what they can do. So Jeff Franklin, he was the producer of Full House, and... Jeff Franklin and Robert Thorne, they actually teamed up because they saw the massive potential of Mary-Kate and Ashley, and they knew that they really could have hit the lottery with these kids. So they teamed up to make a made-for-TV movie with the girls, and that, of course, was the cinematic masterpiece that came out in 1992 called To Grandmother's House We Go. I was obsessed with this movie. Absolutely obsessed. I watched this with my sister on loop. I have not seen that movie in maybe 20 years. And I really think that I could still quote it word for word and pretty much give a frame for frame analysis of the film. I loved that movie. I love the scene where they took their piggy banks and smashed it with a little hammer and collected all the money to, you know, run away. It was so wild and free. It was like a Lana Del Rey music video. I was living for it. So everybody loved this movie and it was a big ratings hit. And this was the first time that they were like really true actors in the film. They were so charming. They were so cute. They had great comedic timing and they just did really, really well. And this was also the first time that we got a package deal. This was the first time that we saw Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen acting together in the film. I know sometimes in Full House, they would kind of do the like good Michelle and bad Michelle and they would put the girls together, but that was only like visions in the show, like flashbacks or whatever. This was actually a full-blown movie where we got the girls together. This was the first time that we got Mary, Kate, and Ashley. And this was also the first time that we got them outside of Full House. So this was when the team knew that they weren't just child stars. Like they were 
a brand. Mary-Kate and Ashley, it just flowed off the tongue. So ABC, they wanted to ink a deal with them. They wanted to have a few TV movies, some TV specials, and Robert Thorne wanted to ensure that the Olsen twins would be producers on this production. And ABC's like, we're not making them producers on the production. They're like six years old. And Robert Thorne's like, okay, well, we're not doing it then. Like, there is no other Olsen twins. There's no competition. Like, if you don't want them, then you don't get them. So ABC was like, okay, okay, we'll do it. And with that, they became the youngest producers in Hollywood. They were six or seven years old at the time. So this was just a groundbreaking endeavor that they were going to be producers of their own movies. And Robert Thorne took it a step further with the twins because he worked with their parents to create a production company called Dual Star Entertainment. And this was a really big deal because the Olsen twins became partial owners of their own production company. And this was a brilliant move because obviously the twins had more of a financial stake in their work. They couldn't get exploited by other productions. And this was just a really good move to have all of their endeavors under their own production company. See, the thing is, like, Robert Thorne, he is an incredible business person. Like, he really was able to renegotiate those terms. He was able to bring the Olsen twins to incredible heights. And though he's an incredible business person, like, the product was these two girls. And that's when it becomes kind of hard to take because these are two little girls. These are their childhoods. And yeah, he sees potential that he could take them to otherworldly proportions. But you have to wonder, like, at what cost? But Robert knew he had to strike when the iron was hot because VHS sales were going through the roof. There was no streaming at the time. If you wanted to watch anything, you had to buy the VHS. So they piggybacked off the success of To Grandmother's House We Go and released two more movies the following year with How the West Was Fun, which loved it. We love a Western, especially one with the Olsen twins, and the Halloween movie Double Double Toil in Trouble, which I watched like five years ago. And I'm sorry, it it's kind of weird. It does not hold up, in my opinion. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I kind of abandoned it about 30 minutes in. I was like, what is this? But as a kid, I loved it. And they were also selling videos of their music videos featuring smash hits, I Am The Cute One. Remember, I am the cute one. This is my sister iconic, and also Brother For Sale, Brother For Sale Only 50 Cents. I terrorized my younger brothers with this song. I would sing it over and over and over because I knew it annoyed them. And anyone who has younger siblings, you know, you found one thing your younger siblings were annoyed by and you just exploited it to the nth degree. And I would sing it over and over and I would rile them up so much to pretty much just a melee broke out in the house and <laughs> sorry mom it was it was a lot back then but I just never stopped um and I'm not being sarcastic about smash hits like they released these videos and they also released corresponding albums with them and they were like certified gold they sold hundreds of thousands of copies and I remember listening to it in the car like it was a big deal these songs and they also had their mini series the adventures of Mary Kay Nashley 
where it was like the caper comedy. They were detectives. The hook was they'd solve any crime by dinner time, which which someone got Keith Morrison on the line from Dateline NBC. Like these are these are pretty great detectives. They're solving any crime by dinner time. So let's get them on. Um, I don't remember this. I mean, I loved this show, but I don't have any core memories except one episode where they're like in a mansion and there's a beekeeper. Does anyone remember that episode? Because I do. That's like my core memory of the adventures of Mary-Kate and Ashley. And also them being in that clubhouse and they're in the trench coats and the fedoras where they're little detectives and they have that little basset hound. Oh my gosh, it was just a simpler time. I miss it. But anyway, they were workhorses, obviously. Like these VHSs were like stacked in my basement. I just remember like us having a big stack of Mary Kate and Ashley VHSs. And like there were so many tapes. And I remember one day, one day I went into the basement and they were gone because my mom, my mom's very nice. And she gave them to a neighbor, a younger neighbor who wanted to watch Mary Kate and Ashley. And she gave them away. And I was like 14 years old. And I have like a full-blown mental breakdown. <laughs> like I was so upset that she had given these these tapes away. I was like a teenager. Like why did I care so much? But this was like before YouTube that I could just sit and sit and watch them. And if I really wanted to, like once those tapes were gone, they were gone. So that I just remember I have a core memory of like a big argument ensuing because she gave away the Mary Kate and Ashley tapes. And that was just that was bad. That was really bad. But they were making all of these movies, all of these specials, and they're still playing Michelle Tanner on Full House. So they have certified gold albums. They have all of these movies coming out, all of these little shows. They're on one of the biggest shows in the world at the time. And they're only like eight or nine years old. Like... What were you doing when you were eight or nine years old? Probably nothing, because that's what eight-year-olds should be doing. They should be going to school, hanging out, riding their bike. Like they're, you know, I was making movies with my Barbie dolls and my Bratz dolls, and I was recording them on my dad's camcorder, or I was singing into the camcorder, like recording myself singing. I used to love to sing that I Would Walk a Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. (laughs) I would sing that into the camcorder and I would film myself. And I remember one time my sister found the camcorder and then she hooked it up to the television set and I was exposed because everyone saw my weird movies with my dolls and also saw me fake playing the piano, singing Vanessa Carlton. And spoiler alert, I was not a good singer. So and my family made sure to let me know that they thought I was not a good singer. So that was what I was doing when I was nine years old. Uh, the trauma, the childhood trauma. Um, but anyway, uh, the Olsons, they never had a break. They never had a break. And the crew on Full House, they actually were worried about them because they would remark about how tired they looked. They said that they would film these specials on hiatus weeks of Full House or they would do it during the summer. And Robert Thorne would get them to work because he would say, like, do you girls want to go to SeaWorld? Do you girls want to go to Paris? Do you girls want to go to Toronto? And Obviously, they're going to be excited about doing that. Like, if you ask any kid if they want to go to SeaWorld, like, yeah, they're going to jump for joy. Like, I was excited when my mom would take us to the Little Caesars in Kmart. 
You know, remember when the Little Caesars was in the Kmart stores? Like, I was excited just to sit there and have a couple pieces of crazy bread. Like, that's what got me going. Like, they're thinking they're going to Paris to eat croissant. And then they go there and they actually have to work. Like, I would take the crazy bread because at least I would get some crazy bread. And then my mom would go shopping in Kmart and I would run through those aisles. I would like sprint through that store. And these old ladies would go, slow down, stop running. And I remember one time I was running through that aisle. I was running so fast and I was wearing a jumper because it was like the late 90s. So I was wearing this plaid jumper and I was running through those aisles at full speed and I tripped and I like Superman <laughs> through that aisle. I face planted and I flew. I flew through that aisle and I remember this old lady had her cart and she and I looked up and she looked down at me and she goes, that's what she get. <laughs> didn't even help me up she just goes that's what she get and I was shook of course but that was what I got like why was I running at full speed through the store I, why why I mean my mom had four kids to, to wrangle she didn't know what I was doing so I was just running and you know kids kids today you know if a, if somebody did that someone would be recording and saying it would be a viral TikTok that the older lady wasn't sympathetic that the kid fell Kids today are so soft, but back then it was what I got. But, you know, like I said, I was excited to be running through the Kmart store. Yeah, I wasn't running through the aisles of Versailles in France, but I was having fun. I didn't have to work. And that's what makes me feel bad for these girls. Like, yeah, they're having an incredible life, but they don't even get to enjoy it because they have to work all the time. But anyway, 1995 rolls around and Full House is suddenly canceled because ABC wants more edgier programming. Lori Laughlin said they want more urban programming, whatever that means. So they're getting away from kind of the vanilla family sitcoms. And this was to the dismay of the other actors on the show. And of course, it was to the dismay of the Olsen twins because they have literally, they're eight or nine years old and they don't know a life without Full House. They literally were babies on the show. They don't remember living life without acting on this show. So, I mean, could you imagine? So this was obviously a really big kind of pulling the rug out from under them. But it also was kind of looked at by Robert Thorne and the Olsen twins that it kind of freed up more time for them. And Robert Thorne realized we could really take them to global, massive, massive stars. And it also was during this time that Dave Olson and Jarney Olson were like, is it too much? Is this too much for the kids? But clearly they did not think it was too much because they, you know, the car started and it never ran out of gas for like the next 10 years because they first star in their first feature film, and that was in theaters in 1995, and it was called It Takes Two with Kirstie Alley, which I Googled, and it literally has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, but I really couldn't care less. I hate critics because I love this movie, and I watched it maybe like three years ago during quarantine, and it still holds up. It is still a fun watch. I love movies. I mean, you know I love The Parent Trap. It's one of my favorite films, and I just love tropes of like, Two twins from different walks of life run into each other. They're dismayed that they look exactly the same and they just wreak havoc and change life as the other characters know it. I, I love it. And this is also 
when we kind of get the rules and the trope that goes on for many, many years after this, that Mary-Kate is the tomboy and Ashley is kind of the girly girl. So they're already establishing what their personalities are when they are really, really young kids. Um, but they're again, they're going, 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 going. And Jody Sweeten, who plays Stephanie Tanner on the show, described their childhood as a treadmill that you could not get off of. And keep in mind, they still have to even go to school because they're children. And there's just no sign of slowing down at all. They immediately launched the You're Invited To series. And I remember these series. My core memory of this series is the You're Invited to Mary-Kate and Ashley Sleepover with the pizza song, the P-I-Z-Z-A. Loved that song. Even like when I order a domino, sometimes I'm singing P-I-Z-Z-A in my head. It just has stuck with me. And then also remember the scene where there, or maybe was it the sleepover episode or some kind of Halloween episode where the friends like painted their face and they sang that song about things being scary. Like they had the wigs on and the face paint. That had no business being that scary because even to this day, I feel like it would still make me uneasy. That scared me so badly when I was a kid, but I, for some reason, still would watch it on loop. Like, I just love to torture myself. But yeah, that was scary. And but I still obviously lived for it. But I loved that uh, You're Invited to series. That was there was You're Invited to Mary Kate and Ashley's beach party, birthday party, Christmas party etc. And they did about 10 of these from 1995 to the year 2000. And also during this time, they're just becoming just one of the biggest lifestyle brands in the world. You know, they're launching dolls, they're launching lunch boxes, anything you can think of is being branded Mary-Kate and Ashley book series. And we talked about this during uh, the Martha Stewart episode with the kind of the celebrity branding where they would just put their uh, celebrity's face on a lifestyle brand. And Martha definitely appealed to the older women, kind of the maybe 30 to 60 demographic and Mary-Kate Kate and Ashley were the younger girls. So they were kind of filling that demographic where they were spending their allowance on these Mary-Kate and Ashley products. And it said that Mary-Kate and Ashley had their face on 52 categories of entertainment and lifestyle brands. So anything you can think of had their face on it. You know, they had from blow up chairs to video games. I remember they had video games for PlayStation. They had a Game Boy game. My favorite game from them was the Magical Mystery Mall game. I would rent it from the Blockbuster. I love that game where they were like trapped in the mall. They got this like jewel from one of the mall vendors who was a gypsy. And then they had to figure out how to get out of the mall. I loved that game. I was never good at video games growing up. I was re- just really bad. I don't know if I have bad hand-eye coordination or what. Like, I remember I would play Super Mario World with my friends and my younger siblings, and they were always really, really good at it. I couldn't get past the third level. I would try it like 15 times, and I would say, this level is impossible. And then my brother, who was like six years old at the time, beat it in like five seconds. So I was like, I'm just not good at these games. But I do love lifestyle games. Like, I love The Sims. I still play The Sims 2. And if you logged into My Sims 2, the houses are perfectly decorated. The kids have straight A's. They're getting all the scholarships for college. Everyone's at the top of their career level. I excel at lifestyle games. 
I'm just not good at video games, but I loved Magical Mystery Mall. That was just like my kind of game. And we would rent it from the Blockbuster. And I remember one time I rented it and whoever had played it before me had scratched it up, scratched the hell out of it and it wouldn't play. So the, um, Blockbuster was like, okay, we'll we'll exchange it for you. And they gave me, I think it was called The Winner's Circle. And it was an equestrian game of Mary-Kate and Ashley. And it just did not have the same mystique. Like, it was fine. It was an easy video game for me to play. It wasn't, you know, trying to beat Bowser. I definitely couldn't have done that. But um, it was... It was fun, but I definitely preferred Magic Mystery Mall. But they released nine video games ending in 2002 with their last video game called Sweet 16 License to Drive. Obsessed. I wish I could play that right now, but I don't have a PlayStation. Um, and like I said, I'm not great at video games. But anyway, they're doing everything. And when the late 90s come around, they do not slow down with the TV shows or the movies. In 1998, they release Billboard Dad, which is iconic. And the same year, they released their first sitcom called Two of a Kind. I was obsessed with this show. It was based in Chicago, so I already loved it. I remember the theme song. Wherever they recorded that theme song was not Chicago. And the train that they feature is not the CTA. So it looks a lot cleaner than what I ride to work every morning. But I loved this show. I remember the character Carrie. She definitely lived in my neighborhood now. There was a scene where the dad in the show goes to Carrie's apartment and they're quote on her rooftop watching the Cubs game and they could just sit and watch the Cubs game and like yell at the players which anyone who lives in this neighborhood in Chicago by Wrigley Field knows that anyone who has a rooftop view they own the building and they sell those tickets there's no one who has a casual rooftop view and gets to watch the Cubs games for free that they monetize everything so but that was fun you know the magic of cinema I'm just poking holes in the show because I'm an adult now but I loved that show and it's funny because I was in New York last summer and I was seeing the Broadway show Company with Patti Lapone. And I was like, where do I know this guy from? One of the guys in the show. And I realized it was the dad from Two of a Kind, Christopher Sieber. I was like, wait, what? So that was fun to see. I'm glad he's doing well and I'm glad he's on Broadway. We love Two of a Kind, but unfortunately it gets canceled after one season. But but they don't slow down because there's nothing that could slow down the Olsen twins or Robert Thorne because in 1999, they released Passport to Paris and Switching Goals. And in Switching Goals, we're still getting the trope where Mary-Kate is the tomboy, Ashley is the girly girl, which who knows if that was their actual personality at the time. But they try another sitcom called So Little Time, which is an absolute banger of a theme song, which... I'm going to stay away from singing it because every time I actually sing on the Diving Board podcast, I get so embarrassed. Like when I'm editing the podcast, I actually have to turn it down, like turn the volume all the way down and cringe very hard to myself because I'm like, I I can't. But that's an absolute banger. I love that theme song. I'll post it on the Diving Board Instagram <laughs> because it's, it's very good. Um, but this also gets canceled after one season in 2002. But this was kind of like their more mature show. Like they're kind of teenagers at this time. And I think people preferred So Little Time, at least when I was growing up. People liked So Little Time. But Two of a Kind was my favorite. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> the following four years, though, 
it's just a firestorm because we get so many movies from the Olsen twins. We get Our Lips Are Sealed, Winning London, Holiday in the Sun, Getting There, When in Rome, The Challenge, and rounding out in 2004, their final feature film, this was in theaters, was New York Minute. And this was kind of a box office flop. And it was kind of to the dismay of the Olsen twins because this was the last time they produced or starred in a film. Like this kind of marked the end of an era of them starring in movies. But by 2003, Dual Star was worth over a billion dollars. They were doing hundreds of millions of dollars of sales every year with all of their products. And 2004 is kind of when things definitely were changing with a different era for the Olsen twins because it was the year that they were graduating high school and it was the also the year that they were turning 18 years old. And this is where I'm going to drop a really big bomb on you that you may have never heard before and it might come as a shock, but it's that sometimes middle-aged men can be very, very, very creepy. So creepy, in fact, that there were full-blown websites dedicated to countdowns of when the Olsen twins will turn 18 years old. Men were like so creepy to the Olsen twins. We had Howard Stern being his creepy self, talking about the Olsen twins. Like they were underage girls and they were sexualizing them. And it was just so creepy. They saw so many creepy men growing up. They grew up with Bob Saget being an absolute creep on set, which I'm not going to go that far into. The the information is out there very readily. If you want to look it up, it'll just piss me off too much. But very, very creepy stuff that he was doing on set. The copious jokes about them at the Bob Saget roast in 2008. Just like disgusting, disgusting things. They're talking about literal children and these jokes. I mean, men can just be so creepy. I'm sorry. I mean, watch one episode of To Catch a Predator and you'll know that. But I mean, these men who have seen them grow up and now they're so excited that they're of legal age. It's just, it's sickening. Like I couldn't imagine, especially like when you're growing up as a woman, like you're not fully comfortable in your femininity. And I remember like when I got out of my awkward phase and people started finding me cute or attractive, it was so uncomfortable to me because I was just not being used to being viewed that way. And I couldn't imagine being viewed that way by the entire country. It's just, but anyway, they're in the public eye now and they're getting, like I said, very sexualized, but they're also getting scrutinized by how thin they are because this is the early 2000s where they would say, you look too big, so you got to lose weight. But then once you did lose weight, you looked way too skinny and everyone was freaking out about it. So they were getting scrutinized left and right. And they go on Oprah to talk about this new era of being adults, be talking about when they turn 18, they're going to be presidents of their company. And like I said, there's already so many rumors, particularly about Mary Kate being very, very thin. And you would think that Oprah wouldn't exploit this, but she does. And she starts talking very, very frankly about their weights. And when you look at this interview or hear this interview, it's very jarring seeing it from a 2023 lens. 
and just kind of shows what the Olsen twins had to go through. And I am going to insert a little clip from that interview right here. I know, I, I know there's a new rumor that's recently surfaced that has really upset you, right? Uh, you know, the one about eating. Yeah, you know, people are going to write what they want to write. I, we try not to read the good or the bad mm -hmm. because it just kind of comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. You know, either you're too fat, you're too skinny, and people are just going to write what they, they... What size are you, by the way? Size? Yeah, I was like, I'm really sure. sure. I you're not sure? Girls, and, oh, you know... Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I'm like obsessed with size and you're like, I really don't know. Aren't you guys so proud that I learned how to do that? This is like an actual podcast now. It's so crazy. But anyway, that clip is disturbing. It's jarring, especially viewing it from a 2023 lens. You definitely could not get away with that. And obviously we love Oprah on the Diving Board podcast here, but this was, we can call out when somebody's made a big mistake and the way they're talking and the way she's talking to young girls who are so clearly uncomfortable, asking them about their size, asking them very frankly about their weight. It's just not okay and very, very uncomfortable. And like I said, this interview comes out at the time where Mary-Kate is rumored to have an eating disorder. There's rumors that she has a food monitor, that they've actually hired someone to watch her eat her meals, which is you know sad to learn about and it's an unfortunate reality for a lot of people at this time and still today who are in the public eye and getting scrutinized so even though they're under so much public pressure they decide they want to just live life like a normal 18 year old girl and they decide they want to go to college they want to pursue a degree and go to college which this is something i've just never understood why these celebrities want to go to college like like i know many celebrities they choose to go to ivy league schools like i know natalie portman went to harvard and you know a lot of celebrities like to go to school but i just don't understand like the olsen twins pursuing a college degree like you own co-own a billion dollar company you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars like you've pretty much reached the pinnacle of anything that you can do and I, I just don't understand like why these kids decide to go to college. You don't need this degree. You're successful in your own right. Like even, uh, what's her name? Olivia Jade, Lori Laughlin's kid, Olsen Twins connection, like that whole college admission scandal. Like why did Olivia Jade need to go to college in the first place? Like she was very successful with um, the YouTube videos and she had these brand deals and she had, you know, some makeup kids with Sephora and everything. And her parents are really rich. Like I don't understand why there was a reason to go to college. And I don't really think Olivia even knew the reason why she had to go to college. Like I feel like people get so hung up on going to college that you don't you're already at the pinnacle of your career and this is like I'm not downplaying going to college I have multiple degrees like I have a bachelor's degree I have a master's degree I have an MBA and I like to think I have a PhD in reality television so I have three degrees I mean <laughs> the doctorate the doctorate's a little murky that one comes from diving board university and we're still working on our accreditation but i understand the beauty of going and pursuing higher education like they're my proudest accomplishments but when you're one of the olsen twins i just 
I don't understand. So they apply to NYU, and this is another thing. They want the college experience, but you're not getting the college experience when you go to school in a major city. I went to school in a major city. I went to college in Chicago, and it's a much, much different college experience than going to college in a college town. Like if you were going to, you know, Michigan State or University of Illinois or Urbana-Champaign, like where that town is identity is known the school. When you're going to school in a major city, it's just a much, much different college experience. I didn't have a football team. We didn't have a homecoming game. It, it It's just much, much different. Um, but they applied to NYU. And in her admissions essay, Ashley compares her life to the Jackson Pollock painting Abstract One. She says, some people look at it as complete mayhem or just paint splattered on a canvas. And yet there's so much emotion behind it. Some people will never, ever get that. No one knows what it's been like for us. We didn't expect anyone to know, good, bad, or amazing. But we do expect people to respect the decisions we make. So she was going deep. I mean, she was comparing her life to a Jackson Pollock painting. I mean, go for it. And NYU liked it. So they let both of the girls in. And like I said, they wanted the college experience. So they originally wanted to live in the dorms at NYU. But they got mobbed, obviously, because like you're mega, mega, mega stars and you want to live with your target demographic, 18 year old girls who grew up with you. Like there's no way you're not getting mobbed. So they opted to buy the penthouse at 1 Morton Square in the West Village. And Robert Thorne bought the units below them because he has to follow them wherever they go. But just before they start NYU, Mary Kate checks herself into the Cirque Lodge in LA for health issues. And we are very familiar with the Cirque Lodge because Lindsay Lohan spent some time at the Cirque Lodge. We talk about this in the Lindsay series. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely check it out. It is what I consider to be my masterpiece. But anyway, um, (laughs) definitely check that out. But Mary Kate checks herself into the Cirque Lodge for health issues. Many think that she's going in for cocaine use. She's going in for drug use. But it comes out that she actually went in to get treatment for an eating disorder. She really wanted professional help. She wanted to tackle the issues that she was going through and which I think is great. I think it's great like if you need any help to pursue professional help. But this was the first time that Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen didn't have that squeaky clean perfect image when it should have been celebrated that Mary-Kate went to go pursue actual help and take charge of her issues that she was facing. But the media didn't see it that way because they had that Got Milk ad and Got Milk immediately pulled that ad because they didn't think it was good to have the Olsen twins promoting them, which is so awful. And I and I think us as a society, obviously we have a long way to go, but I do think in 2023, society would not react that way. I think we'd be a lot more sympathetic and proud that somebody was getting the help that they needed. But Mary-Kate, she finishes her time at Cirque Lodge and she leaves, and the twins feel more confident that they can enter school successfully. So they both enroll in NYU in the School of Independent Studies, with Ashley majoring in Italian and psychology, and Mary-Kate pursuing photography and the arts. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, when you're Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, if you want to learn about Italian, I'm sure Ashley could get the best Italian tutor 
money can buy. And I'm sure Mary Kate can be working with amazing photographers. I'm sure she could be working with Patrick Demarchier or she could be working with David LaChapelle. Like she could be working with the best fashion photographers you you know. Um, you know, she could be working with Annie Leibovitz. Like she really could be working with anyone she wanted to. This but this is the thing you have you don't need to be in a structured school program when you're Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. So you know, whatever. Um, I'll stop harping on that. But their goal was to blend in as regular New Yorkers. And that just was not an option because there were mega stars. They were going to school, like I said, with their target demographic. And of course, this was the time of paparazzi where they were just leeches and you could not get away from them. So they were chasing them regularly, especially when there was speculation about Mary Kate's health. Like they always wanted that shot of maybe her looking too thin so that they could plaster it on the tabloid covers. But, you know, they're gallivanting all around New York City. They're partying. They're dating these club owners. They're chain smoking. They're sporting, you know, their signature boho chic. And, you know, with the huge scarves, the huge sweatpants, the classic Balenciaga city bag, which I would have given a limb to have owned that in high school. I was obsessed with that bag. And of course, like the massive sunglasses, that was their trademark of covering pretty much half of their face. And I really think Mary Kate cemented the Starbucks cup as an accessory. Remember back then, it was always the Starbucks cup. Even when I walk into the office with my Starbucks, I still feel like I'm Mary Kate Olsen. And everyone else is probably like, you walked in here with no makeup, wearing the same pants you wore yesterday, sit down and drink your Starbucks refresher and leave us alone. But anyway, in my mind, I think I'm Mary Kate Olsen. Um, but everyone wanted to dress like Mary Kate Olsen. When I was in high school, I had the huge bog eye sunglasses. She was just the style icon. But in early 2005, Mary-Kate starts dating Stavros Niarchos, and that is a very familiar name here on the Diving Board Podcast because we know Stavros Niarchos from the Lindsay and Paris feud episode because Lindsay dated him for a little bit and then Paris dated him and there was a big feud. And um, there's massive speculation around if the Olsen twins are going to drop out of NYU because there's student message boards. Of course, this is the days before Facebook or Facebook was kind of just a glimmer in Mark Zuckerberg's eye. But there's message boards saying that, you know, I take classes with the Olsen twins and they never show up to class. They're here for maybe one class a month and everyone thinks that they are going to drop out. Because Mary-Kate is spotted partying all over New York City. She's chain-smoking in the bathroom. They said she almost throws up on Penelope Cruz on a night out. Uh, she's getting carried out of the Oasis dressing room at the Oasis show at Madison Square Garden, which I kind of live for because, you know, she's partying with Nolan Liam Gallagher. And, you know, it's it's getting pretty crazy. I would love to be a fly on the wall. But um, Ashley is definitely more focused. And uh, Mary Kate, she runs off to Europe for the summer after their freshman year to spend time with Stavros. But she quickly comes back stateside because her and Stavros break up. And that fall of 2005, they start NYU both of them start NYU, but Mary-Kate only lasts a month. And they say that she drops out because she 
can't deal with the breakup of Stavros and the fact that Stavros is immediately dating Paris Hilton. The statement says she wants to focus on Dual Star, but she doesn't. She wants to leave the city because it's just too small. Like people who live in a big city, you know, it can very much be a small town. You run into these people, even though there's millions of people in your city, you still see the same people all the time somehow. So she says, it's pretty obvious why I want to leave New York because Stavros and Paris are running all around the city. And I just don't want to see that because her and Paris were actually good friends or not good friends, but they were friendly with each other. She said, I never had anything bad to say about Paris, but now Paris is, you know, Paris was a mean girl back then. Like she was the Regina George of Hollywood and she would say really, really mean things about other women. And there's many videos of her saying mean things to the paparazzi about Mary Kate. And I think she just wanted to get out of there. And I don't know why all of these beautiful women were fighting over Savros Niarchos. Like, he's cute, but I'm sure there are more Greek shipping errors in New York City. I mean, I don't speak from experience, but I'm sure Savros Niarchos is not the only one. So I don't know why these women are fighting over him, but... Paris is doing a number. That's what Paris did back then. But Mary-Kate also says she wanted to drop out of NYU because, quote, writing papers did not make her happy, which I'm sure we could all relate to. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't understand why someone like Mary-Kate Olsen, like I said, keep harping on, needs to be in college. When I was an undergrad, it was so hard for me. Like, when I was that age, I hated sitting in lecture. I felt like I was just like a caged animal, especially those three-hour lectures. I would stare at the clock 24-7. Like, I just wanted to be out. I wanted to be exploring the city. I wanted to be working. I just wanted to be doing anything but school. And, like, I needed a college degree for my career goals. Like, I wasn't Mary-Kate or Ashley Olsen, so I needed to get that degree. But Mary-Kate, she doesn't she doesn't need to be spending her time in school. She's She's already very successful in her own right. But there's an iconic picture of this light tribute, kind of like a projection, a light projection onto the brick wall of the building of one of the dorms. And it says, we'll miss you, Mary Kate, with a picture of the Olsen twins. Like, I live for it. Needless to say, my school did not do anything like that when I left, but it also took me six and a half years to get a four-year degree, so they were probably just so happy I was finally leaving, but (laughs) it's okay. Life turned out very, very good, so if anyone is listening and they're upset they didn't get a four-year degree in four years, don't worry. It'll all still work out. You're on your own timeline. That is my life advice in this episode. But anyway, uh, Ashley, she actually hung out around until around 2007 with only a year and a half to go to graduate. But she got bored. She decided to leave. You know, no, duh. I keep saying there's no reason they need to be in school. But she gave it a really good go. Like she almost graduated. If I were her, I would have just gotten the degree. But she wanted to bounce. Um, But Mary Kate, she was definitely the party girl all throughout the 2000s. Like if you saw, she was at every single club and she was, like I said, the fashion icon. Everyone looked to Mary-Kate to see what she was wearing. And she was, I don't want to say reckless, but she was definitely known as the party girl. And in 2008, it was said that she was dating kind of on and off, not exclusive, kind of casually dating Heath Ledger. And we know that in 2008, Heath Ledger passed away from an accidental overdose. It was a fatal mixing of pills. And 
his housekeeper slash masseuse, she actually came into his apartment that morning and found him, which is horrifying. I feel so bad for her, but she found him. And it was weird because before calling authorities, she called Mary-Kate Olsen like three times. And she had not even called the cops yet. Like she just kept calling Mary-Kate. Mary-Kate picks up. Obviously, she's horrified, but she calls her own security to go to Heath's apartment, and then they call 911. So it was like very, very odd that the masseuse never called the police until her security got there. Just called Mary Kate. That was a little suspect. And of course, when they were investigating prosecutors, they wanted to talk to Mary Kate Olson because why did they call Mary Kate? And even if they were casually hooking up and that was the last person he called, I don't get why she would just continuously call Mary Kate before she called the cops. But prosecutors wanted to talk to Mary Kate Olson, but she actually didn't cooperate with the investigation until prosecutors granted her immunity. So she would not talk to them until she fully knew and understood that she had immunity in this case. But it was very kind of swept under the rug. A lot of people speculate that maybe they were Mary Kate's pills. I don't know. I don't know for sure. So I don't want to start anything. But it was a very, very strange case that really kind of ended very quickly. And we never really got full-blown resolution from. But Mary Kate was involved in some kind of peripheral way. So just kind of an interesting anecdote. And Mary Kate, she did try to act a little bit more. She had a short role in an indie film and she was in the show Weeds in the late 2000s, but she really wasn't acting very, very much as she got older. And Ashley really focused on building her clothing line, The Row, which she started in 2006, which was probably the reason she dropped out of NYU because she wanted to kind of start her clothing line. Why do you need to be taking classes? It's just there's no reason for it. And they wanted to create a clothing line because Ashley originally wanted to create the perfect T-shirt. That was her inspiration behind the row. She wanted a perfect shirt that was made of beautiful materials and draped perfectly. And that was her inspiration. The row was really her kind of brainchild and it was her baby. But Mary Kate also wanted to settle down a little bit because she wanted to help Ashley with her clothing line because Ashley really had that great business mindset and that attention to detail, but Mary Kate had that vision. She understood vintage clothing. She understood styling. She understood how to put pieces together and had really, really amazing style. So them together is a really, really great pair for the row. And in 2007, they also created um, Elizabeth and James, which was kind of a diffusion brand. It was a little more affordable. They had, you know, pretty dresses, sunglasses, and this was named after their brother and sister. And like I said, it was more of their um, diffusion brand. I think it went defunct. I don't know if they're still making it. I don't see it nearly as much as I used to. Um, but designing is clearly their true passion because, you know, they used to have the clothes. I think it was in Walmart, uh, the Mary Kate and Ashley line. And they said even as kids, like they were designing those clothes like it wasn't just putting their name on it. They were saying what they liked and they were helping designing it. I had a few pieces from the Mary Kate and Ashley line in Walmart. And I remember I had a two-piece swimsuit, and it was pink leopard print. 
I've always been me. And I remember being outside performing for the neighborhood kids. I had the sprinkler going and I was singing the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack to all the neighborhood kids as I was performing in front of um, the sprinkler, which in my mind were like the Bellagio fountains. But um, (laughs) yeah, that's like what my vision is of being in that Mary Kate and Ashley swimsuit just thinking I was Celine Dion. But yeah, loved it. And Josie and the Pussycats goes without saying that is the best original movie soundtrack there ever was. But anyway, um, over the years, they have truly elevated their fashion label. They have gone from child actresses to true visionaries in the fashion industry with The Row. Like The Row is a very, very serious fashion label in the industry right now. And Ashley credits the success by saying, things like this are successful when you really care and pay attention to every single detail. And that's true. I feel like Ashley has cared so much about this label and Mary Kate is really the creative inspiration. So like I said, them together. This is why The Row has just been so incredible. They have an annual revenue of $200 million. They've won so many awards. I really cannot think of any celebrity who has been able to pivot like that. Like The Row has won Women's Wear Designer of the Year by Council of Fashion Designers of America. They won Innovator of the Year Fashion by The Wall Street Journal in 2012. They won Accessories Designer of the Year in 2019 by the Council of Fashion Designers of America. And they're pretty much nominated every single year by Council of Fashion Designers of America for Women's Wear Designer of the Year. So like I said, I can't think of any celebrity who has been able to pivot like that into fashion. Yes, you know, celebrities have clothing lines all the time, but they're not like this. This is not a celebrity clothing line. This is a true fashion label where they are really, really big players in the fashion industry. Um, I don't have anything by the row because I'm not currently in the market for like a $6,000 trench coat, but if I ever am, I definitely would get something by the row because it's just beautiful. It's beautiful pieces. They do really, really well. And like I said, I can't think of any celebrity that even comes close to them when it is creating fashion. I think maybe anyone who's in the same league is possibly Victoria Beckham. But really, the Olsen twins have set the bar. Correct me if I'm wrong. Fashion people who are listening to this, let me know if I'm wrong. But I just can't think of anyone who has matched the Olsen twins' level of success of pivoting from, you know, television movie actresses to creating a full-blown fashion label. Like, they really have set the bar. But anyway, in 2016, they actually were called on the carpet to act more when, uh, you know, I feel like 2016 and that kind of era was the era of the reboot, which may be unpopular opinion, but I cannot stand reboots. Like, I watch and just like that because I was obsessed with Sex and the City and that's just my show. So if the girls are going to be on television, I have to watch it. But I kind of hate watch it. I really don't think it's a great show. I wish I could have wrote it. 
because uh, I was writing fan fiction years ago about Sex and the City just to send it to my friends. If anybody wants to hear any of that, I only need one person to DM me about it and I will read it live on air. But (laughs) I just need one person, please. But anyway, I don't really like reboots. But uh, more people do. People watch them. And they wanted to reboot Full House in 2016 called Fuller House. And they really wanted them to revive their roles of Michelle Tanner. But they said, we're not confident in our acting abilities anymore. And they're like full-blown fashion designers. Like, this is not their job anymore. Like, did anyone ever think, like, maybe they just don't want to be actresses? Like, they never really had a choice. They were born pretty much as actresses and had to grow up doing that. I think what they really want to do is be fashion designers. Like their acting and Full House and all of that helped them launch the success of The Row. Of course, I mean, you have to back it up with great clothes, but the fact that they had that name really did kind of expedite their fashion journey into a successful brand. But like, that's what they want to do. They're businesswomen, they're fashion designers. They don't want to act. People actually suggested that Elizabeth Olsen play the part, their sister, because Elizabeth is an actress. But they shot that down. And I know they were kind of shady. The cast was kind of shady to them. But like I said, they don't they don't want to act anymore. Let it go. But um, in their personal life, Mary-Kate married Olivier Sarkozy in 2015. And all I remember from like the newscast of that um, wedding was that there was bowls of cigarettes at every single table, which sounds very Mary-Kate Olsen. It definitely tracks. And he's like 20 years older than her. Uh, They divorced in 2021 because they, quote, couldn't see eye to eye on lifestyle, careers, children, etc. I think he's like a French billionaire, like he's a banker and he has a ton of money. I don't really know what drew him to him, but I mean, I've dated some questionable people as well. So no judgment, but and they weren't billionaires. But um, the twins themselves, they're worth like a half a billion dollars collectively. So they don't need to be marrying for money. But they they were married for a good six years, but they... um, Uh, recently got divorced. Ashley recently got married last year to an artist. His name is Louis Eisner. They've dated for years and he's actually a younger man. I think he's like four years younger than Ashley. So uh, we love it. They're very, very cute together. He's a really handsome guy and really, really happy for Ashley. She seems to be living her best life. Like remember in 2021 when that random picture of Ashley Olsen came out of her like hiking, carrying that machete while drinking what looked like maybe like a beer or some type of cocktail machete in hand she was wearing the black yeezys and the other hand was a cocktail like an icon like i feel like the olsen twins are probably just so fun to hang out with like that was that picture was everything and you know we never see them so that picture just made it even even better but all things considered i mean they seem well adjusted considering like they were workhorses, they were just really seen as money makers, as a brand. I couldn't imagine having a childhood like that. Like Mary Kate Olsen, she actually reflects on her childhood and she was quoted as saying, I look back at the things that we did and the clothes that we wore and I think, wow, we really were troopers. It was almost like I was in the army. School, work, homework, fly to New York, get in at 2 in the morning and do a morning show at 5 a.m., then do another one at 7, then do a radio interview at 10. I look back at old photos of me and I don't feel connected to them at all. I would never wish my upbringing on anyone. And that's like such a heavy quote. I... 
I could not imagine. Like, I... It's so sad to me that she looks at pictures of her as a kid and just feels so disconnected. And they have been quoted again saying they don't really remember their childhood and they don't really look back on it fondly. And, you know, I'm not saying I had the perfect childhood. And I I mean, there's plenty of things I'd like to forget. But like I look back on my childhood and just even quoting some of the memories in this episode, like I would not change those memories or give up those memories literally for a billion dollars. And God, I can't get emotional on the diving board podcast. I did that one time and I have one get out of jail free card. But like, literally, I I would not give up those for any money in the world. Like those are just memories that money seriously cannot buy. And the fact that they can't draw on their childhood and think of it fondly, it really, really breaks my heart. But you know, all things considered, I think they did find what their passion was and what makes them happy in life. And that makes me happy for them because they really are incredible visionaries, incredible artists, incredible businesswomen. And we wish them truly all the best, all the happiness. They brought us so much happiness as children and I just truly wish them all the best. They have a birthday coming up. I hope this is an amazing year for them. And Yeah, I just think, like I said, all things considered, they really have come out, you know, saying what is normal, but they really have come out as well-adjusted and, quote, normal human beings. And I really give them the utmost credit. And I think they just kind of fly under the radar. They said they don't want to be photographed by people. They just kind of want to live their own lives. And I give them a lot of credit for that, and I respect them for that. Like I said... They would be the ultimate celebrity sighting in New York, but I would never go up to them. I would never disturb them, but I would just watch in awe from afar because we love the Olsen twins. Like I didn't even realize how deep my obsession with the Olsen twins ran until I did this episode. Like they are such cornerstones in our childhood, like how they say quiet luxury I had a quiet obsession with the Olsen twins because they really just shaped my childhood and I'm sure a lot of childhoods. Because this episode, you really saw a look into a millennial woman's childhood (laughs) with the Olsen twins, the good, bad, and the ugly. So this was a ton of fun. On that note, that kind of wraps up the Olsen twins episode. I'm so happy we got to talk about them. I love them. I admire them so much. I haven't had this much fun with an episode I think probably since the Lindsay series. Like, I love talking about successful women and from our childhood. And like I said, I admire them so much. And we just wish them all the best here on the Diving Board Podcast. But thank you so, so much for listening. I so appreciate you all being here. I want to give a shout out to the new divers. I have a lot of new divers who have been listening to the podcast. I think it comes from the Anna Nicole Smith episode. The new documentary has really created a huge resurgence in Anna Nicole. So I have seen that episode from a year ago absolutely skyrocket, which has been amazing because I love that more people are interested in Anna's story. Obviously, we adore Anna Nicole Smith here on the Diving Board Podcast. So thank you for everyone for joining me, but also thank you to my veteran divers. You know, I love you all so, so much. So thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate if you rated me five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. I also would love if you followed the podcast 
podcasts. I release bonus content sometimes that I don't always promote on the Instagram, so you will only know about that content if you are following the podcast. Also, I would love if you would join our family over on Instagram at Diving Board Pod. That, of course, is B-O-R-E-D. Lots of fun stuff going on, and I can't wait to post even more this summer. But on that note, I just kind of say thank you again for listening and a lot of fun stuff. I I wrote my list of summer episodes, and there is going to be a lot of fun content. So thank you again, and until then, take care, everyone.